You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's everybody doing? <laughs> I got to turn that on sooner. It's good to see you. So I guess it was about five years ago, we went to, uh, we did a family vacation in Orlando. And, and one of the things that we do, it's kind of a tradition that we have in our family is that whenever we go to Orlando, the last night that we're there, there is a uh, resort that Disney has. It's called the Boardwalk. And behind it, they have this area that you can walk and then uh, they have these like Coney Island type games. And so we'll just kind of play some of the games and then we'll eat dinner somewhere there. But uh, we, were, we went that night, this about a few years ago, and being the competitive person that I am, I decided to play one of the games. And they had this basketball game where if you get one shot in, you get a small basketball, two for a medium, three for like a full-size basketball. And uh, so I put my five bucks down and uh, they give you seven shots. So... Uh, I made four of the seven. It's important for you to know your pastor has some game. And, uh, so, <laughs> and then, so I got Livy this large princess basketball, and then Mia and Xander uh, got this little volleyball that they wanted. So, and I thought I was just doing so great. So I get to the next game, and we just, uh, we, the next game is, it's kind of hard to explain, but basically they give you these rubber lobsters, and you got to put them on this little launching pad, and then you hit them, and then they just, those go flying. And then there's these, these water pots that are kind of spinning, and you got to land them in the water pots. So I figure, you know, I'm, an, I'm just coming off a big victory, so it's not a big, I could do it. So I, um, and Livy wanted this ninja penguin that they had, so I'm like, I was ready to do this. So they give me the 12 lobsters. All I got to do is put two of them in. So I channel my inner Thor with the hammer. People say we look alike. <laughs> you laughed a little too hard at that. And... Uh, so anyway, uh, but I strike out on all 12. And so I put five more, down, five more bucks down because I just, I'm like, I can't fail in front of my kids. And so I strike out again. Then Mia says, can I try? I say, okay. I put five more bucks down because now everybody's going to try. And this is just the price of having fun. And this is how Disney keeps building buildings. Like we just keep, we just keep doing this. So anyway, but then my son Xander says, dad, give me the hammer. I'm going to do this for Livy. I'm going to get her that ninja penguin. And the kid puts one of the lobsters in on his second try. And I was so proud of him and yet so frustrated at the same time because I've had 17 chances and I've missed all of them. Anyway, the girls strike out on their request, but the kid that's working this booth, he just keeps putting lobsters in front of the kids so they can keep trying and he doesn't charge us anything. So after about 15 minutes or so, the, and it's starting to get a little busier. The kid says, hey, I see two lobsters in, in, one, in the pots. And my wife is like, no. Xander only put one in, and I'm like, woman, <laughs> you got to stop. Just don't block the blessing. And, um, and so uh, he says, well, I see too. So he gives Livy the ninja penguin. He gives Xander the ninja penguin. He gives Mia a prize as well. And then Livy says, hey, what's your name? He says, oh, my name's Noah. And Livy says, then I'm naming my penguin Noah after you. It was, it was a nice moment. And my kids were proclaiming. They're like, this is a Disney miracle. It's a Disney miracle. And I'm not sure it was a miracle. It was a story of a really nice kid who wants a dad not to look like a loser in front of his kids. I think it's definitely that. And, and let's be honest, the only Disney miracle is how quickly your money disappears. 
and how you can spend 12 hours a day for four days walking and still gain five pounds when you get home. That is the Disney miracle. And so, but there is something about the idea of a miracle that is so powerful that even those who don't believe say that they would believe if they saw one. Now, others will try to explain away a miracle as an over-exaggeration of events. So before we get started, we're going to try to do an in-depth study on this topic as we witness a miracle in the scriptures as we're going to look at it in our study of Acts. But let's start by defining a miracle. If you're a note taker, and I didn't put a spot in the notes, but just fit it anywhere if you can. A miracle is God intervening in the natural order by overpowering natural laws. Let me give you that to you one more time. A miracle is God intervening in the natural order by overpowering natural law. Now, if the first verse of the Bible is true, that God created everything, it stands to reason that miracles are very possible. But if we're being honest, that's not our issue as believers. As Christian, our, problems, uh, our problem with miracles is that God never follows a pattern in doing them. If you read the Gospels, now, the Gospel of John tells us that Jesus did so many miracles that all the books in the world couldn't contain them, of all the things that Jesus did. But what we have recorded in the Gospels is about 40 different miracles that Jesus does. But here's the problem, is that Jesus never does the same thing twice. One time, he touches a guy's face and heals him. Another time, he just gives the word. He's not even in town. And he says, hey, you're, that, that person is going to be fine. Another time he spits on the ground and he makes some mud and then puts that in the guy's face and that's what heals him. And so there's, ne there's no formula to how a healing or how a miracle works. And so as we get started, and once again, as we're early in the book of Acts, I, I think it's important for us. We're going to see a lot of miracles as we go through this book. But what I want to do is I want to kind of establish maybe the, the pillars, if we can, about these facts about miracles that are so important for us, and why does God intervene in human affairs? And what is the point of miracles or the purpose of them? If you're a note taker, here's number one, is that miracles reveal God's power, quite simply. God never does a miracle to show off, but he does do miracles so that people will know who he is. And that's one of the things that we see over and over throughout the Old Testament. In the Psalm 77, uh, the psalmist writes, you are the God who does wonders. You have declared your strength among the people. The second thing is the purpose of miracles is that miracles inspire people to believe. Jesus performed miracles and you know what happened is that people would start following him. They inspired people to believe. It was never about the miracle. Jesus would heal someone most of the time teaching about the kingdom of God. That's why uh, Nicodemus, who was a religious leader, a uh, Jewish religious leader, he comes to Jesus in John chapter 3, and this is how he opens the conversation. He says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs you do unless God is with him. Third thing, miracles are a taste of the future. Jesus healed people and performed signs as a testament to the fact that the kingdom of God was arriving. You see, in the kingdom of God, when the kingdom of God fully arrives, when Jesus returns, and, uh, which Peter will mention in, in our text today, there isn't going to be any pain or death or disease. So when Jesus would heal someone, it was a foreshadowing of the ultimate healing that all of humanity would experience in the kingdom of God. The real issue with miracles is, do we believe that God 
will at times intervene supernaturally in the affairs of men. And if that's the case, we see that in the story that's before us. And, it, and by the way, and this is, I think, and, and it can't be underscored enough, it's never just about the miracle. There's so much happening around it that when we take a step back and look, we realize it wasn't just what God was doing with this one person. That one person, the, that, that this healing intersects with what's happening with everyone around him. Well, let's start. In Acts chapter 3 and verse 1, here's what we read. He says, Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him, with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God, and all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who had sat begging alms at the beautiful gate at the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to them. If you pause there and give me your attention. First thing I want you to know when we talk about miracles is that miracles invite God to intervene. They invite God to intervene. So let me set the scene if I can. Is that it says that they went up together to pray at the hour of prayer, which was the ninth hour. That ninth hour is by Jewish reckoning. For us, it would be three in the afternoon. Now, there are three times that Jews would pray. They would pray in the evening, at morning, and at noon. This is in keeping with David, the psalmist, when he wrote in Psalm 55, in verse 17, I put it in your notes, evening and morning and at noon, I will pray and cry out loud, and he shall hear my voice. This happened from the time of David's reign, even through the Babylonian captivity and up until the time of Jesus. In fact, a lot of, you know, once again, I know one of the more famous stories in the Bible is Daniel in the lion's den. And the whole reason the Daniel in the lion's den story happened was because of Psalm 55. And that is that the king had made this ordinance that no one could pray to anyone except to him for a period of time. And then Daniel goes home and look what happens. In, in Daniel chapter 6, now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, that is the law had been put into practice, he went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. Now, Peter and John go to the temple at this hour, 3 p.m., to go pray. They run into a guy that Luke says is at the beautiful gate. Now, just to give you an understanding as to what's happened, let me show you this picture. Okay, if you come with us to Israel in November, we're going to come here. This is outside of the city of Jerusalem. This is a model that was built of the city. There's actually a whole bunch more of it that you can't see. But this is a model of the city of Jerusalem circa 66 AD. We'll spend some time here when we, uh, when we get there in our first day in Jerusalem. However, now... So this kind of gives you an idea of, this is about 40 acres, this, uh, the temple complex. This is the Antonia Fortress, where when Jesus was arrested, uh, they, brought him, they brought him here. And then I'm going to move on, or I'm going to nerd out for half an hour telling you about a bunch of stuff. So, but let me see the next slide. 
Now, this is what's called the temple proper. And all of these beautifications that were made were done by Herod the Great over a period of about 46 years where he was trying to ingratiate himself to the Jewish people by making the uh, temple bigger and more ornate and, uh, and all that. But when you would walk in, this was out here. This is called the Court of the Gentiles. That is, that's as far as Gentiles could go. This fence had a sign that said, anyone not of Jewish descent, it was written in three languages, anyone not of Jewish descent who passes this sign does so at the forfeit of their own life. So anyway, um, you would walk in, and this was called the Court of the Women, and then you would walk up the steps, and then this was called the Court of the Men, and you'll see that there's, there was always a division uh, between men and women in Israel. When we go to the Western Wall in Jerusalem, you'll see that it's split. Uh, the men are on one side, the women are on the other, and then there's a whole area for the men. You've got to put a hat on, uh, or you can get a yarmulke there, or if you're wearing a ball cap, that works. But uh, the women are all good, but the guys have to wear something before they walk in. But anyway, but this right here is what's called the Nicanor Gate. That's the technical name of it. It was the, the uh, first century writer Josephus said that this was the most beautiful gate of the temple. It was made of Corinthian gold. It was this incredible uh, spectacle, and it was so beautiful that it ended up being called the beautiful gate, which is what Luke calls it here. So this is the gate that they're talking about, the Nicanor gate, that it's at the top of these 15 steps. Now, the reason why there's 15 steps is because there are 15 psalms of ascent, from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134, are all songs that the pilgrims would sing on their way to Jerusalem. So no matter where you lived, when you went to the feast days, you would sing these 15 psalms talking about going to the temple to worship the Lord. And so you would be reminded of those 15 psalms as you walked up these 15 steps, and then you'd walk in here and offer your sacrifice. Now, what the, what the passage tells us is that there was someone that would carry this guy because he was lame from his mother's womb and that, he, that he, they would put him here. So whether he was on the stairs or at the top, this is, this is where they laid him. And so everybody, every guy would see him as they were on their way to uh, the court of the men. Now, it's important for us to note, it says that he was lame from his mother's womb. Now, you got to understand in the ancient world, injuries would happen. Sometimes people would be involved in battles. People would get, uh, have medical situations that would come up. Uh, they, they'd be infirmed in some way uh, or, you know, a whole bunch of things. Their accidents would take place. Anyway, this is happening, and this, the point that Peter is making is that he's going to set up what happens in the healing in that this guy had never walked before in his life. So from birth, he wasn't able to walk. Uh, Peter and John see him. He, this guy is thinking that Peter and John are going to give him some cash. And he says, hey, and now these now famous words, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And I love what he says in verse 7. Uh, Luke gives the description that only a doctor can give. He says, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. Now, I'm going to fast forward a little bit in chapter 4, and I put it in your notes. And this is important because this healing happens in chapter 3, but in chapter 4 and chapter 5, they're still talking about it. And it says this, and I, I put it in your notes. It says, for the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. Now, why is that significant that this guy was over 40 years old? And this is conjecture on my part, so, and I'm letting you know it's conjecture on my part, but I don't believe it's unreasonable conjecture. Jesus went to the temple many times and climbed those 15 steps. And it's not unreasonable to think that Jesus could have passed that guy in his time at the temple if they were laying this guy there every day. 
And Jesus saw this man and didn't heal him. Why? And once again, this is my conjecture, that it wasn't his moment. That this wasn't his moment, that God was going to do something, but it wasn't the time yet. You see, and the point is, is that what happens after the healing is at least as powerful as the healing itself. Because this healing doesn't just change this man's life. This healing changes Peter and John. This, this healing brings thousands of people to come to know Jesus after Peter gives this amazing sermon after the healing. When the Apostle Paul is converted in chapter 9 and becomes a believer, when he gets, goes on his first missionary journey in chapter 14, he's going to get to a city called Lystra. He's going to find another man who's been lame from birth. And the very same thing happens. Because once again, I believe he knew the story and knew what to do. My friends, I'm telling you this, and if you've been around Calvary for a while, I've told you this, that God's will is like a six-lane highway. There are so many things converging and happening all at once. It's never just one thing. It's always several things. Now, um, I saw God do the miraculous in my life. When my daughter was three years old, um, we took her to the hospital, and she got diagnosed with something that's called Stephen Johnson syndrome. Stephen Johnson syndrome is a very rare disease. It only has a 5% survival rate. And there was nothing the doctors could do. Uh, we took her to Joe DiMaggio, and they told us that all we can do is keep her comfortable. Um, but she got to the place where she couldn't stand. She couldn't walk. Um, she, she couldn't, her hands, were so, hands and feet were so swollen, she couldn't even hold a crayon. Um, and I remember picking her up at three years old to take her to the bathroom. And she looked in the mirror, and she says to me, she goes, Poppy, why do I look so different? I mean, she, her face was so, um, so swollen, she didn't even look like herself. And, um, and we were told that, listen, there's just nothing we can do. That's code for she's not going to live. And, um, and we prayed and asked God to be gracious to us and to be gracious to her and her, our family. And um, they told us she wasn't going to live. And within 40 hour, 48 hours, we took her home. And she was um, on the, in the process of healing. Within 24 hours, she was standing. She was walking. She was eating. Um, and then the next day, we took her home, and, and, and listen, that moment, and by the way, she's here. Um, she was outside washing cars and, uh, for the youth camp. That moment, that moment transformed my life. It transformed my life in a way that I think nothing could. But you know, the story doesn't stop there. Once again, this is a six-lane highway, and you might think, God did that for you. He did that for me. He did that for our family, but it wasn't just for us. By the way, if you hear that story and, and, and you're, you, you have faith to say, man, I believe if God did it for, for them, maybe God can do it for my family, th then my story is serving a purpose. But let me tell you, I was finishing my master's degree and I had to take a class that if I'm being, if I'm being honest, I didn't want to take. In fact, I, got, I tried to get out of taking it. And uh, so I called the dean and I'm like, look, I got to take this class. It's like an introduction to ministry. I've been in ministry for 25 years. I think we can forego the introduction. And, uh, and he's like, no, no, it's a required class. I want you to take it. And I'm like, listen, I understand that, but why don't you just have me take a class in something that isn't in my wheelhouse? And, uh, and so, and I'm just trying to get out of it. And he's like, just no, you're taking it. And I'm like, if people, if everyone would just do what I want them to do, life would be so easy. And anyway, so he says no, and he, he's, he makes me take the class. So anyway, I get there the first night. And uh, it, it's... Um, He's the professor's dialing in because he doesn't live in Florida, or not anymore. But he, um, and so we log in, and he's apologizing because he's late. He's like, hey, I'm so sorry. My daughter's in the hospital. So I was waiting for someone to come and relieve me at the hospital so that I could then uh, be here with you. 
And, um, and I said, you know, so I started asking him, like, hey, is everything okay? Is your daughter okay? And um, he's like, yeah, she has, this, she has this thing, this illness. It's so rare. You've never heard of it. It's called Steven Johnson syndrome. And, um, and so in the middle of this class, I tell the professor my story and my story about Mia. And, and I say, professor, listen, I'm not a prophet. I'm just a dad who has seen God save his daughter's life. And so maybe I'm here just for the purpose of telling you that your daughter's going to be okay. And we prayed for her. And by the way, she was. She's, she's, she's healed. She's home. And, um, and man, afterwards, I was like, Lord, I know why I'm, I get it. I understand why I'm here. But Lord, now I'm stuck in this class for three months. And so, and, and so, so listen, and I'm not saying that God's going to heal every time because we can't predict it. We can't demand it but we can pray for it and ask God to be gracious to us. Look what happens in verse 11. This healing takes place. And in verse 11, it says this. Now, as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why do you look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead of which we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him and has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention. Second thing I want to tell you is that miracles invite the power of Jesus' name. Now, the, the, the way this sermon is structured is the same way it's structured in, the, in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, the people are speaking in tongues. People, uh, Peter stands up. And he's like, let me explain what this means. And then he goes into talking about the gospel and their need to make a decision. Here, the healing happens. He's, Peter stands up and explains what took place and then goes into the gospel after, which we'll look at in, in a couple of minutes. But let me just explain how this how this works it says that they went to in verse 11 it says they went to the porch which is called solomon's it's also in another translation called solomon's colonnade now you'll see all of these columns now this is from the model but this is what was happening uh, this is one of the things that herod the great did is he enlarged the temple he created these huge corridors which literally thousands of people could gather in um, in fact if you if i can see the other slide um, you'll see how these columns are all around the temple complex and so now, remember, he's here. He's healed. He's jumping up and down. He's going crazy. Now, who knows? Maybe he's running laps. But everybody, people start gathering, and so they naturally move to these corridors because um, they can't log this, they can't jam this up because people are going in to offer sacrifices. And so they go out to this, this uh, colonnade, and so and then Peter starts preaching to the group that's there. And he begins by saying, uh, men of Israel, the God of uh, Abraham... Isaac and Jacob, the God of Israel. Now he's addressing these believers, Jewish, uh, the Jews that are there. And then he says that our God glorified his servant, Jesus. That's what he says in verse 12. Now, this is really important. That is not just a, 
interesting description that he gives of Jesus. That is a technical point that he's making. Because when we get to chapter 4, we're going to see that the religious leaders were listening. This idea, when he says, my, uh, God, his, his servant Jesus, that is a technical term that refers to the servant songs in Isaiah. There are these four songs that Isaiah gives that are written about the Messiah, where, where God, through Isaiah, talks about his servant and what his servant is going to do in reference to the Messiah. So if you read Isaiah 42, Isaiah 49, Isaiah 50, and then, of course, the classic one is at the end of chapter 52 and into chapter 53 when he talks about his servant. In verse 15, he, there, you have one of the most paradoxical statements in the Bible that says, you killed the prince of life. Literally, that word prince is the word archegos. You killed the originator of life. And then in verse 16, which is what I want to focus on, which is where he says, uh, in his name, through faith in his name. And this is, I think, so important because I really believe that this is going to help us understand miracles. It'll help us understand prayer in a much greater way. When Peter starts talking about this man being healed, he says, hey, it's not us. It's, G it's the name of Jesus through faith in the name of Jesus. Why is this so important, this idea of the name of Jesus? So let's back up a little bit and let's start with what Jesus said on the topic. In John chapter 14, you'll see it on the screen or in your notes. Jesus says this, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now listen, there's over 3,000 promises in the Bible. In my opinion, this has got to be close to the top of the list. Whatever you ask in my name, I'll do it. That's a bold promise. And yet we've all had the reality that some of us have prayed for things that didn't come to pass. So whether it's we've prayed about a situation or circumstance, a person, a position, family members, finances, whatever it is, something has happened and it didn't work out the way that we hoped. But what is it that Jesus is telling us about praying in Jesus' name that if we will do it, listen, it will not only change the nature of how you pray, it will change your relationship with God and I believe transform your life. There's two things, and I put it in your notes, um, that why do we pray in Jesus' name? Here's the first one if you're a note taker. is because the name, praying in Jesus' name invokes his authority. Now, let me explain that. I used to run a college before coming and starting Calvary now almost 23 years ago. And so I spent four and a half years or so running a college. And a couple years after I left, I had a friend call me that he wanted to get a theology degree. And he's like, I call, I fill out everything out, but the registration deadline has passed. And he said, look, would you be okay? Could you call the director of the college and maybe could they make an exception because we know each other? And so and I had hired this guy to take over. And so I'm like, yeah, that's, I'll do that. So I called him, talked to the director, and the director says, yeah, have him, um, have him come by. We have the application. We'll just run it through and then have him call right now and we'll tell him what he needs to do and all that. So uh, he agreed. I called my buddy and said, hey, listen, it's all, it's all set. And just when you get there, just tell him, you know, come in my name. Just tell him, hey, I know Pastor Bob, whatever. And he got everything ran through, no problem. But you know, that only works there. At that particular time, you can invoke my name in that particular time. My name, unfortunately, uh, as much as I would like it to be more, my name has limited authority. You can't go to the gas station and demand, I'm getting free gas in Pastor Bob's name. Like, you know what you're getting? You're not getting free gas, but you are getting a free trip to jail. And uh, so, not going to work. But see, we, you and I, we never come to God on our authority. That's never how we do it. That's why 
whenever we pray, uh, you'll see we always pray in Jesus' name. Why is that? And we don't pray in Jesus' name because it sounds cool or it's like the spiritual version of 10-4, good buddy. We pray in Jesus' name because when we say whatever we're requesting and we pray these things in Jesus' name, we are praying in the authority of the name of Jesus. That's why Jesus says if we ask anything in his name, we'll do it because his name has ultimate authority. In fact, we see that in the book of Philippians chapter 2 where the apostle Paul says this about Jesus, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him the name that is this every knee should bow in those in heaven, of those on the earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, the question you got to ask yourself is, that's, that's a lot of authority, and why would God even allow us to do that? And the answer is relationship. Jesus, in John chapter 15, says, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain. And whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. Now, so we pray in Jesus' name because that name has all the power and all the authority. And that sounds, everything we read still sounds like a blank check. Whatever I pray for, as long as it's in Jesus' name, I'm good to go. Not so fast. Because there's another part of Jesus' name that's important. And that is, if you're a note taker, praying in Jesus' name aligns our desires. It aligns our desires. So, the other day, I came home with a shortbread cookie for my daughter, Olivia. Olivia's our youngest. She's 11. And um, I didn't think I could ever meet someone who liked candy as much as I do. And then we birthed her. And uh, my daughter, Olivia, is right there with me. And uh, I remember one day, my son, Olivia and I were eating some uh, dark chocolate M&Ms. And I had asked my son, hey, Zan, you want some dark chocolate M&Ms? And he was eating a cucumber at the time. And I said, do you want some? And he's like, no, dad, I'll just stick with my cucumber. And I was like, what happened to you? When did you start straying from God's path? Stick to my cucumber. Anyway, the cookie that I gave Livy was in the shape of a snowman. And so I told her, I'm like, you can, you can, you know, cut off the head of the snowman. You can eat the head of the snowman. And then the body of the snowman will have to be tomorrow. So she says, okay. She wakes up first thing in the morning, runs downstairs, goes straight for the shortbread cookie, I mean, it's like early. And, and my wife is like, Livy, you can't have a cookie for breakfast. And Livy says, my dad said I could eat the cookie for breakfast. And, and, and my wife still said no. Why? Because my wife knew that even though Livy was invoking my name, it was incompatible with what she knew about me. And that even though she was speaking in my name, the request wasn't answered. And this is really important. This is why, listen, remember Peter was there? John was there at this, at this healing. John, who writes the book of 1 John, says this. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. The same thing happens when we pray in Jesus' name. We can pray in Jesus' name all day long, but it has to be compatible with what we know about the person and character of Jesus. Um, the other day I was driving, and this guy cut me off, and it was like 
it was like inhuman how bad this guy cut me off. And you know how sometimes people cut you off, but they don't realize it, and then they, they give you the hand signals, and they're like, you know, they do all that to let you know, and then you're like, you know, and then you give them the sign language to tell them, hey, it's all good. And then, but this guy, um, you know, he cuts me off and I beep and he's, he gives me that. And I was like, oh, Lord Jesus, take the wheel. And, uh, and so, but I want you to imagine that this guy cuts me off and I just decided to pray. And I was just like, Lord, turn that man into a frog so that I can run him over repeatedly. In Jesus' name, like, right, not, it's not going to work, it's not going to work. And so you can't pray that, because it's not compatible with what we know about Jesus. But the same thing can happen, and I can pray this when I calm down. I can pray, Lord, that guy is a danger to himself and everyone around him. Help him to see that, in Jesus' name. And Lord, if you want to give them a ticket, I'm okay with that because there needs to be justice. And so anyway, kind of slip that part into. So, <laughs> but listen, you know, sometimes we pray and we don't get the thing that we're seeking because we're praying in a way that's inconsistent with the name of Jesus. And you know, here's what I, here's what I know to be true. I know this to be true. I've experienced it. And this is why when Jesus says to always pray and not give up, or he says when you're praying, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. God knows that there is something that will happen in the human heart when you keep praying about something that your prayer will begin to shift and move and modify. And then after a season of time, you will begin praying something that is in line with his character and nature. And then he answers. You see, sometimes you see this happen in marriage where, you know, one is praying like, you know, Lord, I am married to an idiot. And God, I need you to change this person. And, you know, and, and, you, you know, and then you're like, and I just don't see the change happening, you know. And then, and then there's this after a season of time, you know what happens? The prayer begins to shift. The prayer begins to move. The prayer begins to develop a little bit more. God begins working in you. And then you start praying, you know, God, I, I know that I need to change too. And maybe you can start by changing me. And that's a prayer God is always ready to answer. You see, sometimes it happens when, and, and I have people come up after service and like, I want to get promoted and I want something to happen in my career. And, and you know, listen, do you know that sometimes um, things don't happen because we're just not ready to receive the blessing? And that is so, listen, that's easy to say yes to. It's frustrating in practice because we always think we're ready. But then, but God knows that sometimes it's like, hey, we're going to do a little more character building in one or two areas. And when that's ready, God's like, I'm going to blow you away with what I can do. And sometimes, and I tell people this, instead of praying for the promotion, why don't you pray to become someone who's ready for one? And maybe God can do something totally different in your life. And then all of it happens, plus the change and all the things that happen internally. And when we're doing that, now we're praying, not just in Jesus' name, invoking his power, but we're praying in Jesus' name, and we are aligning ourselves with his will and his desires. Peter has talked about that it's the name of Jesus, faith in the name of Jesus and the power of God that has healed this guy. Now he's going to bring it home. Look what he says in verse 17. He says, yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as also did your rulers. But these things which God foretold by the mouth of the prophets that the Christ would suffer has thus been thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out 
so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the time of the restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said to the fathers, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your seed all the families of the earth will be blessed. But to you first, God having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. And look at chapter four, verse one. It says, now as they spoke to the people, the priest, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them. And being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. Last thing I want to tell you, and we'll make our initial descent here, and that is that miracles invite people to believe. I want you to notice a couple things about this sermon, is that people, or Peter, invited them to know Jesus, that they might be, look, and he says this in, in verse 19, he says that a time of refreshing might come from the presence of the Lord. It's this idea of being revived. It's this idea of taking a breath. It's this beautiful invitation of rest. And he says that God would literally raise up a prophet like Moses. This is uh, Moses speaking when he was leaving. And in Deuteronomy chapter 18, this is why the Jews were looking for a military leader like Moses. In the Gospel of John chapter 1, when Philip finds his friend Nathaniel and he tells him about Jesus, he invokes this idea of the prophet. Look at what he says in uh, John 1.45. It says, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. But verse 16 is so power, uh, 26 is so powerful. Peter says that God sent the Messiah, listen, as he sent his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you. Can I tell you this, that God isn't trying to bum you out? Some people think walking with God is some kind of guilt trip. It's not. God's commands are there to bless you. Listen, my wife and I, we're having a conversation this week, and we have this prayer that we've been praying for the last five years. And God hasn't answered yet. And we're still praying because we believe you've got to ask, seek, and knock, and you've got to pray without giving up. But I had this realization this week, and we were talking about it, and I said, we've been, we're praying a totally different way now than we were five years ago. And I can't even imagine what would have happened if we, God answered the way we were praying five years ago. It would have been a total disaster. And now we realize with some wisdom, I'm realizing I'm so glad God didn't answer me the way that he did. And listen, God this whole time was trying to bless me and it took me five years to realize it. And this is why you'll hear me say this at times, you know, if you've been at Calvary for a while, is that God loves you so much, he's even willing to be misunderstood by you for a season. Because he wants what's best for us even when we don't know what's best. And I want you to see what happens that they get arrested, Peter and John do. Why? And it says that the Sadducees came upon them. The Sadducees 
were bothered because Jesus was preaching, and it says why in verse 2, that they were preaching in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Now, I'll tell you this quickly, uh, just to give it a little context. The Sadducees were the power brokers in Israel. They were the smallest group of all the different, you know, whether it was the Herodians, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees were the smallest group. But they had all the Jews. I mean, they had all the power. And that's one of the things we see in the Gospels. They oversaw the temple. The high priest was a Sadducee. And most of the Jewish Supreme Court, which was called the Sanhedrin. So they controlled the temple. They controlled the sacrifices. Rome was supporting them, which is why they were so powerful. But theologically, the Sadducees only believed in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. They didn't believe in the historical books. They didn't believe in the poetic books. They didn't believe in the prophets. So that's why they didn't believe in a resurrection. They didn't believe in the Messiah. They didn't believe in the coming kingdom of God. That's why they were sad, you see. And uh, I am contractually obligated every time I talk about the Pharisees to tell that dumb joke. So I'm sure you'll hear it again. Now, then we're told, and this is the key, then we're told that the number of people who believed, just the men, tops 5,000. Remember what it said at the end of chapter 2? Peter gives his sermon, 3,000 people believe. Now another 2,000 men, that's not including women and children who believe. Listen, this guy, was all he wanted was a handout from Peter and John. Little did he know what God was going to do that day through that miracle. Peter and John didn't even know what God was going to do that day through that miracle. He thought hey, we're just going to do good for this one guy. And all this begins to happen. And listen, if you'll forgive my conjecture about Jesus seeing the guy when he walked up the steps, a part of me wonders if Jesus sees that guy when he walks up to the temple and says, buddy, when it's your day, that 2,000 people are going to be saved because of this healing. And, and here's the objection, and I get it. Well, what if things don't work out? And it's not a Hollywood ending. It's not exactly what I wanted. And I want you to understand, listen, I get it. Um, last Friday was two years ago that I lost my dad. And when my dad got diagnosed with cancer, we were told that he had anywhere from six months to two years. And he was gone in six weeks. And I went down to his grave on Friday, and all I could think about was every conversation that I could have had with him over the last two years. And so I'm, I'm just, you know... I, and I'm so gra grateful that Carrie and my kids came. And I was just thinking about, I'm thinking about these calls that we would have had about the Red Sox and that they just don't have enough pitching. That's why they're not going to make the postseason this year. And, um, and, and we he would have called me and we would have had these conversations complaining about the government and good Lord, is there a lot to talk about? And, um, and, and you know, he would have called to ask me about the kids and what they're doing. And, and I was thinking, I'm standing there and I'm thinking like hundreds of conversations that I could have had over the past two years. That I, that I missed. Listen, sometimes prayers don't get answered the way we hoped, and it doesn't mean that God wasn't listening or that God doesn't care. It simply means there was another plan. My dad was an imperfect person and made many mistakes in his life, but I will tell you this, his approach to death was nothing short of heroic. He didn't blame anyone. He didn't bargain with God. My dad stood death in the face and armed with faith. He knew in whom he had believed and he knew where he was going. And I had no idea that the greatest gift that my dad would give to me in this world was the faith by which he left it. And while my prayer didn't get answered the way that I wanted, I wonder what he would say if we asked him. I don't think he'd be bummed out. 
My dad is healed and whole and enjoying the blessing of his faith in Jesus. My friends, as Christians, when we look at miracles and healing, one of the things that we have to remind ourselves of is that this life is not the end. That every person we've said goodbye to, if they've trusted in Jesus, we're going to see them again. We're going to rejoice with them again. We're going to be with them again. But we have to remember that even when we don't see it, God is working. And even though we don't feel like he's answering, he's answering even if it's a different way than we hoped for. Because he's working in us. He's working on us. He's working for us to bring us to a glorious end. Why? Peter tells us in verse 26. Here's why. Because he wants to bless you. Because he loves you. Let's pray together. And Lord, we want to thank you for that promise. Thank you for working even when we don't see it. For answering even when we don't get it. For being with us even when we don't feel it. That you promised you'd never leave us or forsake us. And so Lord, help us. Some of us that are here, we're going through struggles. We're dealing with stuff. And I just pray, Lord, be there. As a shepherd, we ask that you'd put your arm around us and walk, help us walk through the valley of the shadow of death if we're finding ourselves there. Those of us that are on the mountaintop experiencing good things, we thank you for that, Lord. And for those of us in the valley, we thank you that you're with us there as well. And that all of this, that, this would, that a time of refreshing might come from you, as Peter said, because you've done all of this, because you bless us and because you love us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.